Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for welcoming us into your presence this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come to your word. God, I pray that right now you would remove those things that would distract us from hearing your word. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us here so that we can hear what you have to say to us and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Perfection is the enemy of godliness. Perhaps some of you are like me. You have allowed yourself to get overwhelmed with an unrealistic idea that something needs to be perfect. So you get anxious, you freeze, and you just can't even move. Perfectionism is this striving for a false, made-up, unreasonable, external goal or standard that God does not call us to. Perfectionism is a problem because usually flawlessness is not required. Plus, your perfectionism costs you time and resources that hinder you from achieving excellence in other areas. Areas that are usually far more important than whatever you're trying to be perfect in. You strive for perfection, for example, in some project around your house. If you get that project done, you have already failed because you yelled at your kids who aren't perfect at sawing and sanding and painting. That, by the way, that example, that was purely hypothetical. You and I are called to dependence, not self-sufficiency. We are called to godliness, not flawlessness. We are called to persevere, not to achieve some external standard that God does not call us to. Now, Lord willing... Some of you out there right now are thinking to yourselves, yes, Pastor Greg, but you forgot about Matthew 5.48, which says, you therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, there's two thoughts that will help us understand Psalm 1 and this verse. The first word is teleos. Teleos is translated in the New Testament, mature, perfect, or complete. And whatever it is that you're describing as teleos, you're saying that it is fit for the purpose for which it is made. It, is, it achieves the goals that were made for this. Perfection as flawlessness was not in the Jews or the Greeks' mind when they used the word. And we must, we have to push away those cultural biases that we have that prevent us from understanding what the Bible is really saying. Yes, some of you are thinking right now, but the comparison in Matthew 5.48 is to our Heavenly Father who is flawless. Agreed. No problem. But again, that's not Matthew's point in chapter 5 where the concern is completely on this heartwardness idea that the Christian must take towards the law. And it is having a heartwardness understanding towards the law that makes us mature, perfect, or complete. 
You see, moral flawlessness is not in Matthew's mind. Matthew understands that you are a sinner to your core. In fact, one chapter later, he's talking about fathers who, though evil, know how to give good gifts to their children. Moral flawlessness is never taught as something to be sought because it's not possible. Instead, we, the pinnacle of God's creation, are made to be in a relationship with God. And so to be teleos is to have a right relationship with God in attitude or action. God the Father cares about what's going on in your heart. God the Father wants what is going on inside of you to be teleos. Not merely the externals, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Jonathan Pennington said, Matthew 5.48, is not moral perfection, but having this wholehearted orientation towards God. In fact, the perfection of Matthew 5.48 is this heartwardness towards God that the law originally presumed. And here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes explicit. By the way, what I'm saying does not exclude the fact that this righteousness is a gift of God. And God gives us this righteousness. He credits us with this righteousness by grace through faith. This gift of God is called justification. And the justified one will one day be morally flawless like the Father. But again, that's not Matthew's point in chapter 5. And neither is it the psalmist's point when we get there. One of the most common mistakes that Christians make is failing to distinguish between justification and sanctification. Justification is this one-time act of God that credits you with righteousness. It is the act of God that makes you a child of God. And you will never in a million years become more justified than you are at the very moment you're saved. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a process in which you become more and more like Jesus. And it begins at justification. But in this life, you will experience the ups and downs depending on whether, among other things, you are delighting in God's Word. Jesus' point in Matthew 5 is not to discuss justification, but what a justified person looks like while they are pursuing sanctification right now in this life. It looks like wholeness, blessing, shalom, Which leads us to our second point. Flourishing. One of the keys to understanding the Sermon on the Mount and the first psalm is flourishing. If the believer wholeheartedly trusts in God, then the righteous one will flourish. Alive, well, attractive, at peace, whole. Shalom. This is the life we need. And we will see today that the secret to this life is delighting in God's Word. My friends, there is no spiritual discipline. There is no growth in Christ without delighting in God's Word. 
A flourishing life, a life of blessing, a life of shalom is a life that seeks God through His Word. A life that delights to seek God through His Word. A life that is characterized by going back again and again to the Bible is one where you will know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. Have you ever noticed that when you decide you want to go to God's Word, all kinds of things pop into your head? Oh, I was going to look that up on Google. Oh, I was going to go scrub the toilets. Oh, I was going to go change my new guitar strings. Oh, I was going to go vacuum. The only time vacuuming sounds attractive is when you're wanting to go to delight in God's Word. Satan loves to distract you from delighting in God's Word. Another trick that Satan uses is to make you believe that reading the Bible is a chore. You heard Pastor Greg's sermon. You better do this or you're a bad Christian. Don't you believe it. Instead, go to the Bible. Ask God to meet you right here and look for a promise that you can cling to to today you will always have the fireworks when you read the bible that's another lie of satan instead learn to know god better through his word and you will therefore love him and trust him more by the way that promise for me today is psalm 50 verse 15 which says, in the day of trouble you will call upon me and I will answer you. And you will give me glory. Psalm 50, verse 15. That was mine. You can go on my Facebook page and see my devotion there. You will not grow in Christ. You will not overcome some perpetual sin. You will not be happy in your relationship with Jesus. You will not be the person you really want to be unless you train yourself to delight in God's Word. Now another objection is, wait, 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 that's legalism. Where's the grace? No, no. Legalism would be me condemning you for not reading your Bible. Legalism would be imposing some requirement on reading your Bible that is not in the Bible. On the other hand, delighting in God's Word is what God commands all His children. And delighting in God's Word is grace. Spurring you on to delighting in God's Word is grace. The command and example throughout Scripture to delight in God's Word is the means, it's the tool that God uses to provide you with grace, with undeserved power for you to accomplish kingdom purposes in your life today. Grace is God's undeserved power so that you and I can go about accomplishing kingdom purposes like delighting in God's Word in you, and through you, and for you, and for those who are around you. Because in God's Word, you will find the power and promises so that you will love your near one, so that you will forgive your enemy, 
so that you will persevere and not get hung up with perfectionism, for example. In God's Word, you will meet God the Spirit and you will be given grace to delight in God's Word. I've got to tell you one last reason why delighting in God's Word is better than perfectionism or, or, or some faulty idea of flawlessness. And that is this. Our sin, when we repent, our sin draws us back to Jesus. We go back to Him in dependence. And we realize He is good. And He is great. Our flaws cause us to look to God who alone is great enough not only to overcome our sins, but to use our sins for His glory and for our joy. And with that, we arrive at Psalm chapter 1. The psalmist writes, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. My friends, delight in God's word. Delight, rejoice, enjoy God's word. And so this morning as we study and delight in Psalm 1, I want to stick closely to a different translation. I want to use Alec Motier's translation with a couple of changes from Alan Ross. Here it is. Blessed is the man who has determined not to walk according to the advice of ungodly people, nor according to the way of sinners to take his stand, nor in the seat of cynics to sit gets back to the basic question. First question is, what on earth does this blessed mean? To be blessed is to be the recipient of divine favor. God gives you favor. He looks upon you well. One who is right standing with God. Or one who is, in short, flourishing. Where you find In the Bible, statements like blessed are, you are looking at statements that are declarative. They make a matter-of-fact statement about life as it is. They're not really commands nor strictly promises as such, but instead, Psalm 1 and Matthew 5 are intended to help you see how upside down the world around us is. Do you want to be flourishing instead of in a rut? Do you want to find yourself pursuing shiny things that have never really satisfied you? Do you long to have some new circumstance that is always just out of reach? Do you need a different relationship? Get your eyes off those things and onto God's Word and you will find that those things that you need shall be added unto you. And you will find 
that with or without them, you will flourish. You will be blessed. Now, prophets and philosophers both have sought us to see this reality and to guide us on the path that leads to blessingness or flourishing. And to the ancients, including ancient Israel, nothing was more important than to be this blessed. Now, the Greeks came up with some good ideas. But ancient Israel understood that true flourishing depended upon being in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. The ungodly person, on the other hand, is determined to walk, determined to walk, to take his stands, or to sit in paths that at best ignore, but more often fight against God's word. The ungodly doesn't want to hear what God has to say. Whatever the opposite of delighting in God's word is, that's what the ungodly pursue with all their might. Instead, the righteous put thought and energy into pursuing God's word and fighting temptation to ignore it. Remember, remember, grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. That is why grace is God's undeserved power to accomplish his will in your life. This, my friend, is not perfectionism. It's perseverance. Again, neither Matthew nor the psalmist describe how we become justified. We are now and have always been justified by grace through faith. Instead, Jesus in Matthew 5 and the psalmist here describe how the justified persons live. And we live by delighting in God's word. Which is exactly what the psalmist describes next. He says, to the contrary, in Yahweh's teaching is this righteous person's pleasure, and in his teaching he meditates day and night. The man or woman who flourishes in covenant relationship with God finds pleasure in what the Lord says. He meditates. She takes time to ingest and digest what God says Seeking to understand God in His ways. And once again, delight in God's Word does not equal perfection, but perseverance. It's a habit of turning back to God's Word day and night. Of intentionally deciding, choosing, determining to set aside time during the morning, set aside time during the day, set aside time during the evening. Choose to set aside time, or that choice will have already been made by the latest blockbuster TV show. But you already know that. Delight in God's word means a persevering pursuit of God. And guess what? We all fail. When you fail, will you get up And move forward in Christ? Will you seek to grow and love and fail and succeed? That's the description of a person God loves. That is the description of a person God befriends. That is a description of a blessed person who has a flourishing life. Delight in God and His Word is a sure sign that you are a friend of God. And God will never leave His friends in the lurch. 
as we see in verse 3. Consequently, as a result of this kind of life, the righteous person is like a tree, transplanted beside channels of waters which yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. That's flourishing. That's going into a garden and seeing plants just alive. Because the righteous person delights in God's word. Consequently, that person is alive, well, attractive, at peace, whole, shalom, flourishing. Do you want that to describe your life? Do you want your life to look like a well-watered garden? How do you do this? First of all, pray. Secondly, determine to set aside time to get into God's Word. Plan to do it. It will not happen by accident. There's way too many distractions in this world. Third step in learning how to delight in God's Word and flourish is pray. Then get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. If you don't know where to start, read Matthew through John and then start over again in Matthew through John. Get to know Jesus. Read the Gospels over and over and over again. Decide that tomorrow you are going to get up with your favorite morning legal addictive stimulant and you are going to use that stimulant to get into God's Word. I cannot think of a better use of coffee or tea. And then pray, Lord, help me. Lord, give me insight. Lord, remove the distractions from me that will keep me from your word. Get into a, God, a small group of like-minded people who are humble and willing to do the work to discover what God means as opposed to making it up or basing it on their feelings. Pray. By the way, it'll take time. You have lived for years. And you cannot expect to change overnight. You cannot expect to have everything working right overnight. It takes an understanding, first of all, a vision of what this godly habit will look like. What would your life look like? What would you cut out? What would you add? Then it takes a decision, a determination, as the psalmist says, to follow through. And then it takes a healthy understanding of what this means, what this tool is. In order to delight in God's Word, you need God's Word, but you also need effort, work. Sometimes painful, difficult, confusing work. Paul says, exercise unto godliness. You will need to develop your spiritual muscle. Or to change the metaphor, you will need to adjust your taste buds. Because you find a good number of things delightful right now that you shouldn't. Me too. It will take humility. It will take dependence. It will take repentance. It will take trust to see God the Spirit at work in you to help you become the person you really want to be in the first place. And this is not how the world will encourage you. 
We see this in verse 4. Not so the ungodly. To the contrary, like chaff the wind, which the wind drives about. What's the opposite of flourishing? What's the opposite of delighting in God's word? Chaff. Chaff used to be part of something useful. It's the, the, the hard part of the kernel of grain. And they have to break it off and it blows away in the wind. It's not even good for compost anymore. It's lighter than air and just blows away. Good riddance. And those who refuse to delight in God's word, no matter how successful they seem, are one day simply going to vanish. Which is exactly why verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly will not rise up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. The Bible frequently affirms that the wicked, quote, wins from time to time now. Look around you. Apparently, most of the winners in politics and business and entertainment are the ungodly. They don't want to know what God says, and they actively seek to shut Him out of their minds and hearts. For whatever reason, God, Jesus, has given them this short time to ignore Him. But He won't for long. Once again, for our benefit, the psalmist explains the eternal destiny of the ungodly, of the godly and ungodly. He says in verse 6, Because Yahweh knows the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly will perish. What is this because? How does because help clarify the meaning of the psalm? The Bible repeatedly calls us to remember that the Lord knows what's going on in our hearts. This is true if you are justified and therefore already righteous and already growing in righteousness. God knows the direction you're on. God knows the deepest desires of your heart because He put them there. This is true if you're ungodly. God knows the last thing you want is His Word. That road is death and destruction from beginning to end. Good news. God allows U-turns. He paid for that U-turn at the cross. Trust that promise. Turn to Him. Delight. Learn to delight in the fact that at the cross all your sins were forgiven. Why? Because you will fail. You will forget to do your devotions. You will forget on purpose to do your devotions. But you are not called to perfectionism. You are called to perseverance. And it is the grace of God that works in you and through you and for you that gives you that perseverance. But you still must walk in it. I said at the beginning, perfectionism is the enemy of godliness. Why? One of my very favorite verses to remember when I fail explains it. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O King, who could stand? But with you is forgiveness, that you may be feared. If God kept a record of every one of your sins, O my goodness, we are lost. But for those of us who trust the promises of God in Christ, for those of us who are now credited with righteousness and are walking along that road of righteousness, He has given us forgiveness that He may be feared, that we can turn back to His Word and delight in it. 
Thank you. Thank you. Because God forgives, you can return back to Him immediately. You can ask Him to give you the grace, the power to fight that temptation that you don't deserve. To fight the temptation not to delight in God's Word. And to fight the temptation to delight in something else, anything else. My friends, you don't have to try for perfection because God has forgiveness. Instead, decide this day to delight in God's Word. Then, make a plan. How will you go about delighting in God's Word? Seriously. Get your favorite morning legal addictive stimulant and then sit down and read a chapter and pray through it. Decide that you will do it. Then keep deciding you will do it. And you will find already delight in God's Word is beginning because He will have put that delight in you. Oh Lord, there are so many things that would keep us from Your Word. I pray that You would give us a special, fresh, anointing of your spirit so that we will know that you are with us in your word and so that we will be delighting in it bless us jesus so that we will be a blessing to those around us in jesus name amen